This is the Epilog Audio Experience. The language and content on this podcast may be unsuitable for certain audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Independent India completes 75 years and history chatter completes 2 years. We started on 15th August 2020. I started with a simple question. What does it mean to be Indian? Independence after all is all about finding a voice of your own. It is time again therefore to talk about the voice of Bombay. This is Bombay born in history chatter episode 9. What was the voice of Bombay like? As historian Milton Israel writes There was a particular Bombay debate and perspective. It was a product of the concentration of industrial and commercial interests, local communal issues, and the perceived tradition of a Maharashtrian response to challenge, tested by the British since 1818, and more recently by the nationalist movement itself. I am referring to the newspaper Bombay Chronicle. You will remember that this is the newspaper in which Dinshaw Wacha had begun to write his memoirs in 1914 when he turned 70. The book based on those columns, the book Shells from the Sands of Bombay, later made me think up this series of which you are now hearing the ninth episode. From its foundation in 1907 and its debut in 1913, and particularly since the 1920s, the Bombay Chronicle provided a platform on which many of the contesting parties fought for influence and support. Throughout the 1920s, the Chronicle's attempt to remain loyal to Gandhi and the mainstream congress program made it the principal english language nationalist newspaper in the bombay presidency the indian newspaper company which ran bombay chronicle was originally founded by feroz shah mehta in 1907 the objective was to provide a voice for the moderate nationalist politics of bombay's westernized intelligentsia and business establishment so the paper was to be the spokesman for a progressive and enlightened viewpoint as against an aggressive indigenous revivalism represented for example by tilak's maratha and kesari on the one hand and a defensive alien colonialism which was supported by the powerful times of india on the other hand the chronicle first appeared in 1913 bombay was a city founded on accommodation with the lifestyle values and norms of its alien governors chronicle was to reflect this spirit of accommodation in 1915 however both feroz shah mehta and gopal krishna gokhale died meanwhile tilak after 6 years in exile had managed to integrate his confrontational style 
into a constitutional context in the form of the Home Rule Movement. The Chronicle was now led by its editor B.G. Horniman. I've spoken about Horniman in a previous episode. You will recall some of that, I'm sure. So Horniman moved to support Home Rule and therefore he took the Chronicle away from the orthodox liberal creed of its founder, Mehta. Over the next 30 or so years, the paper continuously moved to accommodate the dominant forces within the Congress leadership with a Maharashtrian base. Now, Horniman, who was Chronicle's first editor, was brought from the statesman in Calcutta. He was recommended by moderate leaders such as Gopal Krishna Gokhale and Surendranath Banerjee. Yet, Horniman, as we saw, eventually subscribed to the extremism of the Home Rule League variety and also the early Satyagraha experiment, Gandhian Satyagraha experiment in Khera and Ahmedabad. Eventually, in April 1919, the government finally arrested and deported Horniman. Now, it was no ordinary arrest. A delegation of officials, including the acting commissioner of police of Bombay, a CID inspector and three doctors went to his bungalow at Worli. Within an hour, Horniman was packed off to the dock and into a steamship called Takada, scheduled to sail for England the very next day. Now, throughout these years, um, since 1913, the Home Department in Delhi and the Judicial Department in Bombay would monitor Horniman's activities and their plans to arrest him. In 1917, Lord Willingdon had already recommended his deportation, but no action fortunately was taken. Nevertheless, it will be interesting to look very briefly at what the government thought of Horniman. Why was it necessary to arrest and deport a newspaper editor of all people who was himself an Englishman. So I'll um, now read from um, a document from a government file which briefly um, mentioned the career of Horniman. So the file um, which uh, the government of India later digitized and made publicly available reads something like this. The file was put together in May 1919. And this is what the government had to say. It said, and I quote, shortly after his arrival in Bombay as editor of the Chronicle, he rapidly established himself as a prominent member of the extremist section. The Chronicle became the recognized organ of extremist politics and was conspicuous for consistent misrepresentation of government policy and intentions and for personal attacks on officials and for the prominence given to incidents likely to arouse racial animosity. So there were two prominent charges against Horniman. 
One was that he encouraged youths and students to take part in political movements. And uh, reference was made to his address to Bombay Presidency Students Federation, which he delivered in October 1917. And uh, second, he was charged with um, deliberately provoking labor and industrial disputes and to play upon the credulous and excitable temperament of the laboring classes. And he consistently made bitter attacks on the government for Mesopotamia campaign and towards the end of 1970, when he became a secretary of the Home Rule League, he had complete control of the Bombay Chronicle and the tone and policy of the paper became progressively more and more virulent and hostile to the government. These were two of the major charges and I'll now move to a minor charge that the government had made. Um, but um, let me conclude this reading from the file by reading the last few lines. Horniman was in England, but the file said is trying, was trying to secure a return to this country. Our previous experience of him, the file said, was summarized in this note. And it said that he stuck at nothing in the malevolence of his attack. A man of this type, with his character and antecedents, is clearly better out of this country than in it. And in such circumstances, the home government is fully justified in refusing to grant him a passport. Unquote. So I briefly digressed to look at the charges or the secret government files about the editor of Bombay Chronicle, B.G. Horniman. Now, despite all of this, despite a reputation of a Bombay Chronicle as a newspaper which provoked labor, as a matter of fact, the Chronicle relied substantially on capitalists and various princes. The businessmen had discovered a need for propaganda in support of their interests. And the nationalist newspapers like the Chronicle provided a useful link with politicians who could support their claims on British promises, along with more general challenge to alien privilege. Horniman uh, was an expert in balancing these two extreme uh, spectrum of interests. He offered help to the mill owners in the name of Swadeshi. He boosted Indian insurance in the name of nationalism and supported Indian shipping as a national enterprise. On their part, industrialists and merchants, in addition to those like Jamnalal Bajaj and Vaikunt Mehta, who had been converted to Gandhism, also supplied the funds for campaigns which were technically and potentially threatening to their long-term interests. So, when the decision to deport Horniman was made, the commissioner had hoped that the Chronicle's board would now hire a more pliable, amenable, flexible editor and reduce the level of confrontation. That did not come through. 
the government wanted um, the newspaper to submit material for pre-censorship. In response, three days later, the Chronicle suspended publication. The order of pre-censorship was finally lifted in June and the Chronicle resumed publication. Now, although Horniman was supposed to be safely back in England, his presence seemed hardly diminished over the next seven years until he came back in 1926. He regularly published articles in a journal called India, which was the journal of the British Committee of the Congress. And those articles were later reprinted in the Chronicle. In any case, the paper remained in danger of closure for quite some time. The board had to re-establish a working relationship with the government that would at least ensure a publication without censorship. M. A. Jinnah and M. R. Jayakar, who chaired the board of the Chronicle during 1919-21, were both critics of non-cooperation. And it seemed that the paper might return at least in the direction of the moderate camp. A board meeting under Jinnah's chairmanship actually made a resolution that the paper would remain neutral to the non-cooperation movement. Yet, yet, the mood changed once again with the appointment of Marmaduke Pickthall, who was also called Muhammad Marmaduke Pickthall as the new editor in 1920. Now, Pickthall was a novelist and a religious writer. He was well known for his interest in the Middle East, his conversion to Islam and his pro-Turkey position. In Bombay, he was quickly recognized as a Khilafatist leader and a staunch non-cooperator. Once Jinnah and Jayakar resigned from the board in 1921, there was no hope left for an understanding with the government. The Chronicle was virtually alone in its uncompromising stand on the Turkish question. Now, Britain's policy was variously described as, and I quote, mad and idiotic, a crusade against Islam, an insult to the Muslims of India and to the Indian people, unquote. The Khilafat and Punjab wrongs were twined as inseparable grievances, which had to be only jointly redressed. The Chronicle's perspective was reflected in regular editorial and leader writing. The Mopla riots in Kerala were described as, or ascribed to, as a matter of fact, to the, and I quote, passions of a most excitable people whose religion was above all most sacred, unquote. In fact, uh, in an editorial title, Allahu Akbar, in February 1922, Pikthal provided a new definition of jihad in non-violent Gandhian terms. Now, 
His commitment, Pigthal's commitment to writing the Khilafat wrong was matched only by his enthusiasm for Gandhi's leadership and program. To his correspondence in England, he described Gandhi as a saint and his movement as a form of self-purification. And the religious nature of his enthusiasm was always evident in his chronicle stories. In 1924, Chronicle faced another round of legal disputes and substantial financial loss. The paper was taken over by a group considered to be more sympathetic to the Maharashtra brand of conservative regional nationalism. Pikthal had to resign. In the place of Pikthal and his supporters in the board, Jayakar came back once again and he brought along Motilal Nehru, the senior Swaraj party leader and V.D. Govindji. It appeared that the Swaraj party, the few leaders of the Swaraj party, was about to gain control of a Bombay newspaper, which would now support and advocate their views. Now, the new board met under the chairmanship of Motilal Nehru. However, he committed no party funds for the Chronicle until their control was more solid in the legislature. They still preferred Horniman for editorship if he were allowed back into the country. Meanwhile, S.A. Barelvi took over as interim editor. Funding, however, continued to remain a problem. Jayakar had the charge of organizing uh, funds from industrialists and merchants of Bombay. Jawaharlal Nehru and Motilal Nehru relied on uh, Dinshaw's uh, money and Tata connections, but uh, even their donations uh, were not substantial enough. Meanwhile, Barelvi um, changed to a certain extent, to a large extent, the policy of editorial policy of the paper. He eased the paper back from the confrontational style of his, his predecessor. But he also shared the loyalty to Gandhi, as well as his concern for Muslim issues. His chronicle, or chronicle under S.A. Barelvi, never quite satisfied those in the Swaraj party. They wanted a paper of their own, like C.R. Das's foreword in Calcutta. Now, Barelvi's approach to the problem of competition and conflict within the Congress was to provide a forum for all positions in equal measure to the extent possible. So in January 1925, the partial support the Swarajists had been receiving from Chronicle was threatened once again by the company's continuing insolvency and another takeover bid. Now, of course, um, this time, um, Lalji Naranji and N.H. Belgamwala took control of the paper. Belgamwala had been a director with Pikthal and he had left the board with him. A compromise was eventually worked out and the paper appeared to, to strike a balance between the Swarajists and the Gandhians. 
It was to support political activities inside the council as well as outside it. Meanwhile, Horniman was back in 1926, cleverly used a loophole in the passport restrictions between India and Ceylon. There was no ground anymore to deport him. The Chronicle noted, and I quote, that there was no event since the release of Gandhiji to give the people of India greater cause for rejoicing and thankfulness and greater encouragement in the struggle for freedom, unquote. However, the return of Horniman was brief. He resigned shortly and went to set up two other papers, uh, which offered stiff competition within a few years to the Bombay Chronicle. After 13 years of advocating a particular viewpoint, moderate initially and anti-extremist, later extremist and anti-moderate, still later orthodox Gandhian, later marginal Swarajist and so on, the Chronicle finally declared that it was going to be committed to the old undiluted creed of Mahatma Gandhi. But he recognized that the growth of national consciousness had produced a richness and a variety of views regarding new ways and means. In this context, he argued, and I quote, Congress ought to be sufficiently broadly based to welcome and absorb every shade of nationalist opinion, unquote. Hindu-Muslim amity and socialism were the two essential elements in Barelvi's unity mandate. For example, Barelvi assured readers that Shivaji had no quarrel with the Muslim rule in the north, but was solely and quite appropriately concerned with incursions into Maharashtra. He pressed his Hindu readers to reject the communalization of their history and that all of India, whose heroes were Akbar, Ashoka and Shivaji, to continue to follow the same creed. Barelvi attempted to redirect the debate among Indians to the confrontation with the British. And I quote, they will try to divide us in regard to the Simon Commission, unquote. The focal point in Bombay for his unity struggle in the period between 1926 to 29 was ironically the Chronicle's conflict with B.G. Horniman's Indian National Herald. Now, the policy of Herald reflected its editor's uncompromising radicalism. It lashed out at everyone who appeared to constrain an immediate return to non-cooperation. In fact, Hardiman even rejected Gandhi's argument that the country was not ready for mass civil disobedience. So, naturally, Barelvi decided to steer through a middle ground. He attacked the leaders of both communities who suggested that Islam or Hinduism was in danger. But however much he tried to be balanced in his arguments on this issue, the Chronicle remained for many a Muslim paper and at permanent risk of takeover. 
Yet, Barelvi never gave up on Gandhi or the mainstream Congress. He noted that attacks on Gandhi had antagonized rank-and-file members. He was particularly concerned about the apparent campaign in Bombay against conservative leaders like Patel and Vulavai Desai. It was um, in response to such concerns that Jayakar, Sapru and representative of some princely states had established a syndicate in 1935. They were trying to set up a new newspaper. Now, Barelvi was concerned that the scheme was designed to kill two birds with one stone. It would suppress the Bombay Chronicle and also start a new paper. His concern, Barelvi's concern about socialist attacks on Patel and Desai, was closely connected with the Chronicle's problem, since these leaders would play a major role in the establishment of any new paper in Bombay. He reminded Jawaharlal Nehru that the socialists had been given a lot of publicity in the Chronicle. And as a result, the paper had offended those prominent congressmen who dubbed the Chronicle a socialist paper. There was a complex mix of assumed and envisaged unity within the words Indian nationalist movement. In the case of Maharashtra, the Bombay Chronicle was one locus of the internal struggle for control of means and ends. Now, at exchange points like the Chronicle, choices had to be made. It had to represent either the Pune party or the Bombay party or the Delhi party. Now, Horniman and Pictol were willing. They were very willing representatives of Gandhian orthodoxy. But Barelvi's idealism and Muslim identity moved him and his paper to seek an accommodation of viewpoints with the reality and presumed legitimacy of division. Barilvi's concerns focused on nationwide categories, Muslims and the poor. As a result, he ended up uh, antagonizing those who chose to speak for Maharashtra and denied the Chronicle an easy relationship with all the orthodoxes, whether it was Gandhian, socialist, capitalist or communalist. His paper came to be categorized as socialist by the Congress right, Islamic by the defensive Hindus, and undependable by all who measured loyalty in terms of absolute acceptance of their positions. As a matter of fact, however, by the early 1930s, the Chronicle had become more like the Tribune or the Hindu, a Congress supporter with a mind and life of its own. It was a good representative of the mix of pragmatism and passion of heterodox Bombay. 
it had emerged as the voice of Bombay, of accommodation, of understanding, of representation, and relentless contests, struggles, passion, dedication, and idealism all at once. If there was or would be a voice of Bombay, it could hardly be better represented than by Bombay Chronicle. Now, I'd conclude there and I'd like you to let me know what else about Bombay you'd like to hear about. The next episode will be our final episode on the series and let me hold back on what it'll be about. Let's look forward to it. This is Anirban and happy Independence Day. Please celebrate Azadi Ka Amrit Mohatsav. Jai Hind.